Live from Columbus, it's the Zone of Truth. This week on the show, Griff and I host a My Favorite Monster segment on First World's Horror, The Wendigo, bring back a fan favorite NPC to run for treasure, and of course, answer some listener questions. I'm your host, Steve, in the studio with your GM and my co-host, Griffin. Roll a will save. You're in the Zone of Truth. And we're back. And we're live. And I'm going to get right out ahead of this, right out the gate. It's not a first world's horror. It's a first nation's horror. And I'll explain that later. I realized that that might be confusing. All right. Now let's get into the program. <laughs> that is, that Hi, is confusing. Griffin. Hey. How you doing? I'm doing good. How happy, you feeling? Happy Sunday fun day. Yeah. Uh, Sunday fun day. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers. Uh, what are you drinking today? Uh, I'm having a Murphy's imported stout draft Ooh. style. Uh, and you picked those out yourself? No, I didn't. You guys bought them because they're on sale until January 2022. Yes. We, on a permanent sale. We needed a stout for your Patreon drink for an episode that we recorded yesterday. And Brooks, Elmy, and myself picked up the cheapest stout we could find on did. sale till January 2022. Congratulations. You found the cheapest stout. We sure did. And how does it taste? It's fine. Okay. What are you drinking? I'm drinking another one of these War Badger beers. They're from... Miss Pillion River Brewing, and it's got a really cool war badger on the can. I'm going to take a sip of this right now, and we can kick it off. All right, Griff, how are you doing today after yesterday's big-ass recording day? I'm good. Final combat of book four, done. Done. In the books. In the books, for better or for worse. Yeah, and I know some people are creeping in the chat. They're trying to get a read on who, if anybody died or what happened or how did the TPK go? Well, we're not telling you. Nope. No. So don't even try. Gotta wait three weeks. You gotta wait just like everybody but else. What's really interesting is that we finished Final Combat of Book Four mm-hmm. on episode 160. And if you look back at the tapes, we finished the Final Combat of Book Two at episode 80. Yeah, you brought that up yesterday. I had not even realized that. That is perfect symmetry. Exactly 80 episodes for the first two books and for Mm -hmm. the second two books. Uh, Now, we may have had an Abaddon arc. (laughs) As one does. (laughs) But, hey. Hey. That's to keep book four on par with book two, which I believe went about 50 episodes. Book two was massive. We spent a ton of time in the trial. And then, I mean, we had lots of stuff afterwards too. It was just a lot crammed into that book and honestly there wasn't that much crammed into book four. I remember you talking about that. It was a little bit more dungeon crawly, not less I mean there's plenty of intrigue. Yeah, there's, guess, there's intrigue but... and you know there's weird stuff happening but just to put that in perspective it's it's a two level module of an yeah. AP which you hardly ever see. I also feel like because of where we were there wasn't a whole lot of opportunity for us to RP a ton outside of a select couple NPCs. Like yeah. we couldn't go to a Lost Co and spend two episodes there. And we couldn't, you know, like talk to somebody that witnessed the beast trial or whatever, like we could in book two. So, um, yeah, a little d- different pacing, but we are done with it. 
We've got some really cool stuff on the horizon, but uh, we can't talk any more about it. We, we just can't. I'm sorry, Griffin. It's all right. Uh, yeah. We'll catch up on it in a zone of truth or two. Yes, that will happen. How about you tell me what's been going on in your personal life, though? What you been into lately? Uh, I've been playing a lot of Monster Hunter Stories 2 on the Nintendo Switch. It's sure. kind of like the Pokemon version of Monster Hunter. So Monster Hunter is normally like... I describe the combat style a little bit. Like, I mean, Monster Hunters have been going on far longer than the Demon Souls, Dark Souls series, but mm-hmm. the combat feels somewhat similar where, you know, like dodge rolls are important and all that kind of stuff. Um, Is the level of difficulty up there? Like yeah, those games yeah, are famous for? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's the regular Monster Hunter series. And then Monster Hunter Stories takes all of those monsters that are in the Monster Hunter series and basically like throws you on a different perspective instead of being the hunters of those monsters you're like a monster rider so you like tame them mm-hmm. and so it's it's turn-based it's kind of pokemon style really good I, i've been enjoying it a lot in addition we've been watching well you've you got to see an episode of it Haley and i, I finished did. the entirety of it uh cooking with paris on netflix it is a cooking show with paris hilton and it is the most vapid experience I've ever I've ever sat through. We watched an episode last night where she was cooking in the kitchen and had these massive like Hulk hands level of largeness, feathery. I don't know fashion all that well, but she had big like feather puffer her yeah uh, on her forearms, and she was like. Making cooking. ranch? Yeah. Like dipping the black feathers into the ranch. I remember her mom just saying, like, there's feathers everywhere. <laughs> it was truly a wild experience to watch that. I'm going to watch the rest of them sometime. Yeah, I good. mean, the, the rest of them are equally as wacky. Mm-hmm. It's just she brings on some people that match her level of uh, ineptitude in the kitchen, I'd say. Like Hell Kim yeah. Kardashian's on one of the episodes, equally bad in the kitchen. <laughs> the rocks uh, but yeah it's it's not good tv it's just it's kind of funny to watch like we like to watch shitty movies of course, kind of like yeah. that good times yeah i know brooks and emily are big fans of that as well and i'll be getting there as well mm. what uh, what else you been into uh, that's about it for me i've been doing you. a lot of doing a lot of prep work understandable we've been recording a ton so we had to bank this hlp stuff we had bestow curse we needed to get behind Link's legacy stuff all sorts of craziness. Yeah, We're- back-to-back weeks of three or more episodes for me. <laughs> so I can't wait until next weekend when <laughs> we, get we actually get to bit. chill a little bit. Yeah, nice. it'll be real nice. Well, however, on my end, I've also been playing a game. It finally hit Xbox, so I've been playing Hades. Oh, sick. Yes. How far have you gotten? Not very far. I have died a couple times to Megara. I think that's the name of the first boss. Yep. I almost beat her, but I've only done like seven or eight runs. Okay, so yeah. for like just getting started, I don't think that's bad. I remember when we played it one time for a, a streaming night with some of the that people. That was really fun. We should do um, that again. We should. <laughs> I really like Hades. It is a blast. Hades is a blast. I want to play on... I want to play Kingmaker, but also... Um, Wrath of the Righteous, when that yes. comes out, I want to stream that. That'll be fun. I feel like that those are the kind of games that, like, when it's single player, you can still kind of 
rotate around. Mm-hmm. I mean, Hades especially, because it's like, okay, I died. Here's a controller. Yeah. But Kingmaker, I feel like there's a lot of group decision-making that could happen. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think Kingmaker would be a lot of fun, and, and Wrath of the Righteous coming out is going to be a blast. Or, you know, you and I should just play through Divinity like we always been talking about. We do need to do that. We do. I played through that, at least the first one and part of the second one with Tim when we used to live together, and that game was just the best. I had so much fun. We need to do that. Yeah, Original Sin 2 is great, but I'm one of those people that I play through to a certain point, mm-hmm. and then I'm like, oh, I really want to try a character that's built like this. Restart. Oh, no. <laughs> so, like, I've gotten to the end of, I think, part two of four, mm-hmm. like, five times and have not gotten further oh geez no i'm not like that i build a character and go and then i'm done with it like i've never replayed skyrim even though like what that's a classic game that people replay a hundred times i've replayed skyrim a hundred times oh i loved it but i only played it once (laughs) sword and shield run done that was it you didn't even devolve into stealth archer no i did not but uh hey you know that's just my style Anyway, I got a couple other things that's been going on in my life. I am reading a really, really excellent book right now. The title is quite a mouthful of words. It's called A Treatise on Possibility, Perspectives on Humanity Hereafter. That's a lot. That is a book written by Rao Reynolds, the lead singer of Enter Shikari. Last year, they put out an album called Nothing is True and Everything is Possible. And basically what this book does is it takes down the themes and the meanings behind all of the words in that album and he basically blows that album out into a full-length book where he is writing several essays on a lot of the common themes and stuff in the album the album itself is about like the existential dread of living in the world that we live in and all of the craziness that's happening and as society's changing people are changing Um, it's heavy stuff it's really heavy but it's very well researched and I love it. It's a fantastic book. Nice. And then it wouldn't be a what's going on in my life without some depressing shit. So uh, I'm watching American Horror Stories, the spinoff show of American Horror Story, where it's even more episodic. Oh, no. It's really bad, man. Is it? Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> but I'm watching it. So I thought you were about to give us another Twilight update. Well, so I've also have been uh, really, really getting to work on that Twilight stuff. I'm about to start New Moon. I want to finish this Ralph Reynolds book first before I read New Moon, but I'm on my second watch through of the movies, about to watch Breaking Dawn Part 1. We'll see if that happens tonight or next weekend, but get we need to, to uh, we need to watch our book five movies now. Yeah, the Twilight Saga. Well, I was going to do Twilight and then you got so hard into it about a month too soon hey well so now i gotta pivot i'll rewatch them we're doing fine. i think we're gonna do the lost boys and interview with the vampire oh those are good ones though i like that yeah yeah those are good choices maybe we'll maybe we'll do that next weekend we're not doing much fun. we're not doing much next weekend we'll see yeah. all right so that's what's been going on in our lives but before we get into the meat of this episode some of you people listening at home right now while we're doing this live or listening at home right now on the recording have probably already heard about this because we made the announcement this morning. But I want to talk a little bit about our big news that just dropped today, Griffin. Yeah. And the big news is that the HLP is putting on our first live show, virtual live show, 
it is going to be a stream hosted on Paizo's Twitch channel Sunday, the 19th of September at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as we run through a 2E society scenario called a Frosty Mug. Who's all going to be involved? Well, Griffin, you're going to be GMing us. And then as far as players go, it's going to be myself. We're going to have Haley. We're going to have Chris. And then we're going to have a special guest. I think uh, some of you out there might be familiar with the Southern Tom Foolery podcast and that crew. But we got Emily Summerlin. She's going to be hopping in and playing a character with us. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Gen Con Online. I, I'm so stoked. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be new for us. Like I said, it's going to be our first live show. So don't know what to expect. <laughs> got to learn virtual tabletops. Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to have to practice holding my pee for four hours. Yeah, that's going to be, be tough. tough for me. We're going to have to work up to that. Yeah. Maybe we'll do a couple streams leading up to it. That's mm-hmm. just like, well, you see Griffin, I'm trying to reduce the streams is the problem. Well, we'll, we'll live stream and we'll see how far you can go. Like the live stream will end when you mm-hmm. have to go pee. Okay. So basically, basically sure. we'll just go live on a random night. It'll just be, just be you like okay. hanging out. Yeah. I don't know. Do what you do. Uh, live watch through Twilight. We'll see. Maybe. maybe. I don't know. And then, you know, cut the stream off entirely when you have to be. And then it's just done. It's Everyone just done. goes to bed. So, like, the first stream will be 38 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then you work up from there. We'll see. That does sound like fun. But do you want to give the people at home a little insight into what the scenario is we're playing? Yeah. So, the a Frosty Mug is a fifth level scenario. It, is, it involves the party heading into Irisen, which is the realm of the winter witches and I like to think of this society scenario as kind of a mini reign of winter in a way Uh, it involves dimensionally displaced Russian soldiers and winter witches Mm -hmm. and um, and I think has a lot of opportunity for some really fun uh, and different role playing especially with those Russian soldiers yeah (laughs) I think that's what got me first of all is that it's got booze in the title I'm in. Frosty mug. Hell yeah. Let's go. Then you tell me that we're going to be fighting some Russian soldiers and I'm on board. Yeah. I think it's going to be great. Yeah. So I think the the premise really starts where people outside of Irisin haven't been getting communication from inside. Mm -hmm. And so you're tasked with like going in and figuring out what's happening. Uh, And you find these Russian soldiers and other perils and have to figure out what you're going to do about the situation. So I can't wait, man. It's very fun. It it comes highly recommended. It's one of the uh, one of a lot of people's favorite 2E scenarios, especially I, I didn't want to do another first level one. I thought it would be more fun to do something at least a little higher level for Gen Con. Oh, what uh, what level are we playing? Five. Five. Perfect. Yeah. So it'll be good times. Hell yeah. We got a little group chat going on. We're starting to work out some ancestry and class stuff between the party. I haven't figured out what I'm playing yet. I'll keep everybody here updated because it'll be fun, but we'll see. I'm going to be playing all the Russian soldiers. Yeah, work on that accent. (laughs) I'll just bring Zokar back. Hell yeah. (laughs) That'd be a nice little uh, Easter egg for the folks or cameo or whatever. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. Well, I think it's about time to move on to our first official segment. You all voted, people that can vote, uh, at the $10 tier and up. So we are doing a My Favorite Monster, which I think this is the first time that we've done this for a live Zone of Truth. Is it? I think so. Maybe. We, we did do- a lot of the uh, 
It's always creepy and Galarian. Always, yeah, always creepy. We do a fair amount of backup Back roulette. roulette. Yeah, that's yeah. a famous one. But yeah, this is my favorite monster. And what are we doing today, Griff? The Wendigo. The Wendigo. What a creature. So, yeah, this is a very, very cool creature. I believe I was talking with Brooks last night. He said his like favorite creature in general. I think this is one of those creatures that creates a an atmosphere and a scenario that is so memorable that I wouldn't be surprised if most people that have encountered a Wendigo in TTRPGs absolutely love the creature because of it. Yes, so I don't want to spoil anything out there for anybody that might be playing an adventure path, but some of us, maybe all of us, I can't say, have encountered a Wendigo in an adventure path, and it was a very, very memorable encounter. It was excellent. But I'm going to go ahead and kick us off, start talking about the Wendigo in real life or in our reality. So what is the Wendigo? When you picture a Wendigo, you're probably thinking of some sort of man-elk or man-stag hybrid. And historically, what you're picturing in your head probably doesn't actually match what the Wendigo originally was. So let's get into it. The Wendigo comes from First Nations mythology. And so for our non-Canadians listening, that designation belongs to the 634 recognized non-Inuit or Metis Native American groups or peoples in Canada. And the cool thing about the Wendigo is that it is not unique to any one of those cultures. It is a figure that pops up in several of their mythologies. It's what's called like a, a regional scary creature or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. I, I've heard but, that it, it spread not just in Canada, but in those northern states. Yes, the, the around like the Great Lakes and stuff. There as well. Which I think that's why Brooks likes it in particular, because he comes from Minnesota. So yeah. they've got like local legends there and stuff. Mm -hmm. so it's close to his heart. So the description between those peoples does vary, but generally it's accepted among those peoples that the Wendigo is some sort of malevolent, cannibalistic, supernatural being often associated with cold, hunger, famine, or starvation, which makes sense for the region. It's often cold, yep. it's often difficult to find food. So an Ojibwe teacher and scholar from Ontario called Basil H. Johnston gives a description of a Wendigo that uh, that the native peoples would also give. And I'm going to just kind of run through it right now. So this is what they would actually have pictured the Wendigo as. It's a gaunt person to the point of emaciation. It's desiccated skin pulled tightly over its bones. With its bones pushing out against its skin, its complexion, the ash gray of death, and its eyes pushed back deep into their sockets. The Wendigo looked like a gaunt skeleton recently disinterred from the grave. What lips it had were tattered and bloody. Unclean and suffering from separation of the flesh, the Wendigo gave off a strange and eerie odor of decay and decomposition, of death and corruption. So that's the original type of a Wendigo. They're really more like walking giant corpses than they are. Say, it sounds more like a slightly old zombie. You know right, what I mean? Yeah. Like in the zombie movies, when some of the older corpses come out of the graves mm -hmm. and they still have like skin, but their flesh is kind of yeah. tensed up. In my research, one of the coolest things about that description is that certain of those uh, First Nations peoples were uh, in their mythology of the Wendigo. Every time the Wendigo ate, it would consume somebody or something and it would grow in proportion to what it consumed. Yeah. So basically that means they got larger and larger 
but because they were growing, that meal didn't fill them up. So even though they're like gluttonous and they eat everything they can and they're growing, they're never full, mm-hmm. which is kind of an interesting way to think about that. Wendigo often could speak to humans, basically to tempt them out into the woods or taunt them. They could use tools. They were not unintelligent and in certain cases actually practiced auto cannibalism. If they got hungry enough and they couldn't track down a person to eat in time, they would do things like start eating their own feet. It's very disgusting. So how do in those cultures Wendigo come to be? They're either humans that have turned to greed personal gain over um, the health of the community. They are humans that turn to cannibalism to survive or humans that spent too much time around when to go. So how, go ahead. How does that last one happen? <laughs> I don't You're know. A human that spent too much time around things that are actively trying to eat you. So in my mind, that would be maybe if a Wendigo was like stalking your community for a long time. Ooh, that Murphy's almost... Murphy's coming out to play. Yeah, coming out to play. No kidding. Yeah, I get that, I guess, then. Like, if you're in a settlement that's constantly beset by Wendigo, that's terrifying, too. That is Think terrifying. about it. Like, we have a Wendigo problem, and now a couple of, you know... There's also the problem of uh, Susie down the block might uh-huh. turn into a Wendigo because we've yes. been having this Wendigo problem. Just because we haven't solved the problem in time. That's absolutely true. Very creepy. So, in certain other cultures... The Wendigo was less a creature and more a concept. It was a way to describe people that were greedy, corrupt, or did prioritize their excessive personal gain over the health of their community or basic needs of others. Additionally, a lot of these people, as they were pushed out of their native lands, would refer to the European colonizers as Wendigo because they were greedy and taking things that weren't theirs and displacing these healthy communities for their own personal gain. Wendigo are often associated with a phenomenon that's called Wendigo psychosis. This is something that was classified by the International Statistical Classification of Diseases and Related Health Problems. That's a mouthful. But symptoms of Wendigo psychosis include depression, homicidal or suicidal thoughts, and a delusional compulsive wish to eat human flesh. So basically... So is this a... Go ahead. Is this a disease? Like, is this? It's not. Is a, this like a mental health disorder? A mental health disorder, yeah. Right, but is it? It's like classified as a mental health disorder. Yes. Ugh. And That's, it's also they call it Wendigo psychosis. So here's here's where this gets weird. That same group classifies this disorder as a regional disorder, meaning that they don't see cases or there's not historical record of cases of this outside of that region. That's so weird. Well. Here's probably why this is weird or why it's regional. Some new studies and, you know, looks back into the past actually questioned the legitimacy of the syndrome, claiming that cases were actually a product of hostile accusations invented to justify the victim's ostracism from communities or execution. So it's very likely that people like European settlers would twist this mythology of a Wendigo, say that somebody had Wendigo psychosis and use that as an excuse to get rid of them or kill them. So there are some very famous cases of Wendigo psychosis. Probably the most famous case is the case of a Plains Cree tribe member. He was a trapper called Swift Runner, who in the winter of 1878 was starving. 
and he was out with his family. He ended up eating his wife and all six of his children. And the crazy thing is that he did this when he was less than 25 miles away from a trading goods safe space that he could have reached that he knew about, or at least people said that he knew about. So when he got in, he eventually confessed and he was executed. Really creepy story. Yeah. I think another classic Wendigo psychosis story is also the story of the Donner Party, which I don't know too many details about. Yeah, they were were American pioneers and Mm -hmm. they got trapped in the Sierra Nevada mountains in the winter. Very similar to what you're talking about here. It's like the combination of the cold and the inability to uh, travel for food led them to, you know, cannibalize each other. Yeah. And that seems very Wendigo-esque when you hear the stories about a Wendigo. So it... I mean, if you put an autocomplete in uh-huh. Google and you do Donner Party, Donner Party Wendigo is like the first thing that comes up. Yeah. So it's definitely like, it's definitely something people have speculated based off of the legend of the Wendigo uh, and especially like the time period this occurred and mm-hmm. in the winter and all of that. Would you say that Air Bear has Wendigo psychosis? Trying to eat everything? Uh, I guess that would, that would be a great corruption. That would be a really good corruption, yeah. Yeah. Huh. They didn't go super far with the corruption. I think there's like 15 of them. Yeah, there's, there's not, not a ton. Wendigo. Yeah, if you're spending a lot of time around a Wendigo, maybe you get the corruption. There yeah. you go. Very finally, in the IRL portion of this My Favorite Monster segment, I just want to call out some current pop culture that you see a Wendigo in. So... Uh, Wendigo appear in Supernatural, Until Dawn, Fallout 76. There was a monster in Pet Cemetery, the Stephen King novel and eventual movie tie-ins that were inspired by a Wendigo. If any of you have seen the Hannibal TV series, there is a Wendigo that is basically in the main character Will Graham's mind that is supposed to represent this Ooh, this serial killer that's out there eating people who's Hannibal Lecter. Mm-hmm. And so he'll see the Wendigo in places and it's it's taunting him. It's very creepy and well done. And then finally, also I saw there's apparently a Wendigo in a DuckTales Christmas special. <laughs> nice. I'm not sure if it eats its own feet in that special, but I haven't seen it, so I can't say whether it has or not. Huh. There you go. Nice. That's all I got, man. What do you got for the uh, Pathfinder stuff? Sure. In Pathfinder, it's a CR-17 creature. Chaotic Eve Large Outsider, which is interesting. Mm. Uh, I would have expected maybe Magical Beast, uh, but it's uh, subtypes Cold and Native Outsider, so they are native to Galarian. It's got Blind Sight, Dark Vision, Great Perception, plus 26. Mm. Um, Doom has almost got him. (laughs) Yeah. So the, the creature... I would say as a CR-17 creature, kind of has a low AC, uh, 32 AC, but it's got a ton of hit points, 280, uh, and it's got regeneration, so Ooh. like a troll. Yeah. Uh, its regeneration stopper is fire, and it's vulnerable to fire as well. It, um, it's got DR-15 to cold iron. It has to be cold iron and magic, and spell resistance 28. So um, at the point where you should be fighting it i i think its defenses are 
okay. Yeah. I don't think it's meant to be a creature that really goes toe to toe with the party for a long time. Now, that spell resistance is pretty challenging. If you're coming up against the CR 17, you're what? Probably 15, 16, about spell resistance, unless you got some bonus stuff. That's going to be tough to beat. Yeah. So it's got perfect fly speed, 120 feet. Um, its main attacks are a bite and a claw, which it has rend. Its bite is at a plus 26 for the first hit, so pretty decent. Ooh, you want to know why it's why uh, it has a fly speed in this? Because I looked, and the Pathfinder art for this has legs that are missing at the knee and below. Yeah, so it's interesting. That's part of the transformation into a Wendigo. Yes, but it's a tale in real life where a Wendigo was leading one of these First Nation boys around who wasn't fat enough for him. He wanted to eat him, but he was too skinny mm-hmm. and it wouldn't be a satisfying meal for the Wendigo. So the Wendigo tried to like tell him to go into this community and get fed and then also bring more people out. Mm-hmm. And the kid just told everybody the Wendigo was out there. Yeah. So everyone went to go kill him. And then when they found the Wendigo, the Wendigo was had already eaten his own feet and legs all the way up to the knees. And then they slew the Wendigo. Yeah. Really disgusting, it, creepy story. In the Pathfinder version, the Wendigo, um, its feet end in like burnt stumps because mm-hmm. part of the transformation into a Wendigo is you like wind walk at the final stage of Wendigo psychosis and like run towards the sun. Okay. And your feet burn off. So is Wendigo psychosis an actual thing? It's like a disease. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll get there. Okay. It's, uh, its attacks can inflict it. It's uh, how it can inflict it. It's, it's got a bunch of ways it can inflict Wendigo Psychosis. Um, I mean, it's got crazy stats like 29 Strength, 29 Dex, 31 Con, 26 Intelligence, 20 Wisdom, 24 Charisma, just all across the board. Smart, agile, strong, yeah, hardy. It's got flyby attack. So it, I think this is best used as like a hit and run scene setting creature. Oh, yeah. I don't think it should really stand toe-to-toe with the party, but with something like a 120-foot fly speed and fly-by attack, and it's got uh, once per day can control weather and cause nightmares in the party. Um, at will, it can wind walk. So the ability to like control the weather, bring in like a blizzard and start like attacking out of the snow to an unsuspecting party is pretty creepy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's got really good pursuit abilities. It's also got this crazy howl three times per day. It can emit a forlorn howl that can be heard up to a mile away. And any who hear must make a DC 28 will save to avoid becoming shaken for an hour. Creatures within 120 feet become panicked for 1d4 plus 4 rounds, and those within 30 feet cower with fear for 1d4 rounds. So, that's a pretty long-range ability. A uh, mile. Yeah, and, and it's creepy. It's creepy yeah. in the sense that, like, you're being chased. You can hear this thing. It reminds me of, like, a skinwalker in that kind of way. Yeah. It's also got dream haunting, so it can use that nightmare ability. Um, but when it uses nightmare as a spell-like ability, the victim is also exposed to Wendigo psychosis. So let's talk about this Wendigo psychosis. I, I misspoke. It is a curse. So when a victim's wisdom reaches one... It's a DC 26 will save, onset one minute, once per day, 1d4 wisdom drain. The cure is three consecutive saves, so... Okay. Pretty tough, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, when a victim's wisdom reaches one, he seeks an individual of his race to kill and devour. After completing this act, the afflicted individual takes off at a run and in 1d4 rounds sprints up into the sky at such a speed that his feet burn away into jagged stumps. The transformation into a Wendigo takes 2d6 minutes as the victim wind walks across the sky. Once the transformation is complete, the victim is effectively dead, replaced by a new Wendigo. True resurrection, miracle, or wish can restore such a victim to life, yet doing so does not harm the new Wendigo, so the Wendigo sticks around. In addition, its windwalk ability can be used to just grab an enemy. DC 23 to avoid being grappled and windwalked away. Oh no. Um, if you make a DC each round, you can make a DC 23 will save. If you do, uh, Windwalk makes you, like, gaseous yeah. and fly on the wind. You become solid, but if you can't fly, you just fall. I think that's exactly what happened to somebody, I can't remember who, in our party. They got picked up and dropped. Yeah, and the whole point of this is, like, the Wendigo tries to disorient you with this. It tries to take you to, like, a remote or a desolate area and, and drop you mm -hmm. and then fucks around with you while you're there. So yep. it's... um. It's very cool. It's very thematic for this creature. I really think with all of these like long range and environment changing abilities, they're definitely best used as a hit and run tactics enemy mm -hmm. and an enemy that like continually harries the party because they're very easy to remove from a situation with its huge speed, its oh, wind yeah. walk, that kind of stuff. But they also have like supreme tracking abilities and so can easily keep a party locked down and keep giving them nightmares at night and making the days terrible with constant blizzards and this would be a really good long-term baddie where you yeah. could have this guy haunting the party over probably damn near an entire book and then have a big battle towards the end or something yeah i think this is the perfect creature to introduce at a level the party isn't ready for mm-hmm because it's not necessarily the type of creature that's going to stand and bang and tear everybody apart. Yeah. It seems with its tactics to enjoy messing with people sure. and enjoy like if almost feed off of their desperation. Mm -hmm. And so it's great to throw at like a level 10 party who definitely can't deal with it just to freak them out. Yeah, it would definitely do the job of freaking me out. I think the flavor is really scary. The creature itself is terrifying and the things it can do are brutal yeah yeah i don't think there's really much more that i want to touch on oh, oh uh, except that it has tiring critical which is just great what does that mean it just like it makes you exhausted if it crits you oh no. and so like i think it's perfect for a party that's like trying to flee this situation mm -hmm. and it's like Oh, you got crit. It didn't take you all the way down, but you're exhausted now and you can't like keep up with the rest of your party. And like this thing is closing in again. Well thought out with the actual flavor of the creature. It's a creature that thrives on hunger and famine. And what happens when you don't have enough to eat? Well, you're tired. You're exhausted. I yeah. understand that's not exactly how mechanically it works, but like by posing that condition, it harkens back to what the creature actually is in mythology. I do kind of wish it had some sort of like hungering touch or something. Mm -hmm. I think that would be cool. Like some sort of ability to like, I don't know, that maybe does like con drain or, or con damage or something, but like makes you starving. Like you start withering a little yeah, bit. From I think that would be pretty thematic. But yeah, that's the creature in a hey, nutshell. Tell you what, it looks like we got a call out from our producer over here. Haley, what's going on? 
Well, if we're done with Wendigo specific stuff, there's uh, a question here about monsters and mythical creatures. Sure. Feels like maybe it's the right time. So this comes from Bipolar Eye on Tart, so Biffy. He asks, if you could hybridize two mythical creatures that turn people into them, like in the clearly superior vampire series Underworld, which two would you Yeah, that's enough. We're done with this question. Uh, (laughs) That's all we needed. Um, I think something with a wraith would be really cool. Okay. So basically taking uh, another creature and making it incorporeal and deal deal like all that drain kind of stuff so like a wraith vampire maybe not as cool as like a wraith werewolf I, th- I think something that's like a creature that inflicts like a wendigo wraith would be really cool yeah. um, it just like give it that extra level of defenses by being incorporeal and ease of killing things it's like a, a wraith can kill things so easily because it's dealing con drain yeah, I'm not sure if this quite exactly answers the question, but I also was scrolling through the stat block of this thing earlier and obviously missed a lot of stuff because there was some really cool stuff in there that that wasn't familiar to me. But I believe if you scroll to the bottom of the PFSRD, they have different variants of Wendigo that look to be really, really cool. There's like a dust Wendigo that is a, a Wendigo that appears in the desert and oh yeah there's a void wendigo yeah there's one and it looks like you have this up in front of you that like exists in caves and is subterranean mm-hmm. i can't remember which one that's called but i yeah it's uh, the bucka wendigo b-u-c-c-a sure um i really love the concept of that in particular because you know having just finished Deepmar and being really entrenched i guess maybe isn't the perfect word but entrenched in the lore of the uh, underworld or darklands i like to think about this wendigo like terrorizing miners and stuff i think that's just to have this thing underground like causes a cave-in and now people are stuck and then they're starving like yeah could be tough i think uh there's definitely some aldrich horror creatures that mm-hmm. do the do the like terrible transformation stuff that makes you change into them yeah and something like that with with like one of these bestial curse type characters would be devastating yeah (laughs) absolutely uh it's a wendigo but covered in tentacles no thank you yeah no maybe that's what a void wendigo actually looks like all right well i think that probably about does it unless we have any other questions about the wendigo i think we're going to roll into our next segment here so I think it was last time that we had one of these live zone of truths. So I was trying to think of fun stuff to do. And we brought back an old fan favorite NPC to participate in something called the Lucky Drunks Challenge. That was a little, uh, little fun little skills challenge out of this book right here. Pathfinder module, Plunder and Peril. But guys, that's not the end of the story. Because the fun continues after the Lucky Drunks Challenge. And we're going to get into it today. So again, this is all very non-canon, just some fun stuff that I wanted to throw together for the show. But let's check in. What happened last time? So our friend Seymour Wiener was down in the shackles, and he participated in the Lucky Drunks Challenge, an annual event which takes place during the Rum Punch Festival in Lilywhite, an island town established by escaped Sargavan slaves in the shackles. Seymour Wiener tried to win the challenge by outdrinking the competition, 
However, he got a little too drunk in the final rounds and was unable to keep his booze down. He got thrown out of the tavern, and today, we're going to be picking right back up at the very end of the festival when he's beginning to sober up himself as we begin Wiener's Mad Dash. <laughs> so to set the scene, I got a little flavor text. The Rum Punch Festival concludes this evening with a parade through town, a reenactment of the escape to freedom the festival commemorates, and finally, fireworks. The lumber yard, which you are at right now called Tarin's Planks, is abuzz with hundreds of workers, revelers, and actors, all gathered before a small wooden stage. Suddenly, a gunshot rings out across the crowded square, and attention snaps to the sharp-dressed woman standing on the stage holding a still-smoking pistol. Now certain that she has the attention of all present, she addresses the crowd. I'm Captain Verosa Lenteri of the Magpie Princess, and I have a business proposition. I've recently discovered the secret to finding the lost treasure of Captain Gemma Redclaw, and I'm looking for a few strong hands to help me secure it. The first to reach my bosun's table on the second floor of the God's Revel Inn, down by the harbor, will have the opportunity to receive an officer's share of old Captain Redclaw's gold. If you've been waiting for your chance at fame and fortune, it's finally here. She fires her pistol again over the heads of the crowd and shouts, Now hop to! A moment of shocked silence is followed by a riot of shouts as dozens of people rush out to the lumber yard. So basically, we're doing a little bit of a modified chase sequence here, Griffin. All right. Give me a little bit of skills. Some checks that I think Seymour Wiener is probably pretty well versed for. And let me tell you how this is going to work. So, this is an abstraction of the chase mechanics found in the Pathfinder 1E Game Mastery Guide. Essentially, it's a chase without adversaries. However, like the Lucky Drunks Challenge we played in Zone of Truth 64, you're essentially playing against yourself. The other racers described are for flavor and will complete the race in a set amount of time. In the book, you got six rounds to complete all of the tasks here to get to the tavern. However, just because it's just you, you're by yourself, you don't have a whole party, uh, because this does conclude if just one of you makes it in time. Mm -hmm. I'm going to bump that up to eight rounds. We'll see if you do it in six. You might, but I'll give you up to eight to succeed. All right. You win by completing the following six chase events, each taking your turn that round. Each chase event has one of two options you can pick to advance to the next event. So what can you do on your turn? You can either A take a standard action to pick one of the obstacles to overcome for the event. If you succeed, you move on to the next event and basically your turn's over. Mm -hmm. Or B, you can spend the full round to attempt both obstacles on the event. If you succeed, you immediately move to the next event and can attempt to pass one of that event's obstacles. So in this way, if you fully succeed, it makes it possible to bypass two events in one round. Okay. However, if you fail, either one of the double obstacles from that first part of the full round turn, you stay on that event and must retry next round. Gotcha. So there's an opportunity here to really speed through this, but it's very dangerous, mm -hmm. especially now that you have an idea of what the ticking timeline is going to look like. So does Seymour Wiener look like he wants a share of that officer's treasure? Absolutely. I would expect nothing less. So first event. This starts right away at the lumber yard. So many hopeful pirates begin running that a crowd immediately forms and blocks the route. You got two choices. You can bellow and push through. Seems like something you see more might do. Mm -hmm. 
That's an intimidate skill check. Okay. Or you could duck through a gap, which would be a reflex save. Ugh. See, I'm upset because I have improved bull rush and improved overrun <laughs> in this circumstance, as well as overbearing advance, which deals my strength damage to anybody. I, <laughs> I trample. I actually built him as a charging barbarian, so he's got like mm-hmm. inspiring rush. Yep. He, gives, he gets like bonuses for charging and that kind of stuff. So I, I don't think that will go completely unspent this game. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to intimidate here, and that's a 19. Dude. Describe your bellow. I think, like, he hallucinates for a second and he hears, like, Wiener <laughs> on the wind. And he's like, ah, I'm coming. And he just, yep. get out of my way. And he pushes through. That's a successful check. All right. So now, event number two narrow streets from a choke point in the race. So you can either notice a shortcut with a perception check. Or make your own shortcut with a strength check. I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna. Which I think. I think I did. I allow you to do some of that fun bullshit you were just talking about there. Okay. Should I? Should I just roll strength? Uh, yeah. Unless you wanted to add some fun stuff that you described. If they, if you had another option or something. Uh, I mean, if it does damage, I have a radic charge, which okay. lets me like, which lets me position myself a little bit before I charge through something. Sure. I actually have a large axe in my hands. He's a titan mauler barbarian, so he uses a large weapon. Sure. So I'm just gonna like bust through whatever this this is. Alright, bust through. Let's see what happens. Right, let's see. Uh, not great. 13. 13 is exactly the DC. Oh, sweet. You crush through. I imagine, um, in Assassin's Creed 3, they introduced, like, because you were in cities, you could, like, move through certain apartments, just, like, hop through. Mm-hmm. Wiener just blows through somebody's apartment. <laughs> he's, he, like, comes out the other side. He's covered in, like, a clothesline. Like, <laughs> flying off he's got the him. laundry. All right. That's awesome. We are on round three, and we are also on event three. So you are you are at parity with where you should be mm-hmm. with the original uh, original thing going on here. So this one has a couple different options. You come up to some bridges and the racers must choose to either push through the crowded main bridge or try to span the gap of a broken bridge. All right, the crowded bridge itself has two different things. You could scramble over a railing for a climb check, or you could everybody move, which I guess that's you shouting, which is a bluff check. (laughs) A bluff check. All right, that's the crowded bridge. Mm -hmm. Climb or bluff. There's a broken bridge also nearby. You could jump it with an acrobatics or swim it with a swim. Ooh. I'm going to climb because I'm a little better at that than swim. Okay. I did want to use my swim. What's the swim at? Plus nine. Okay. Climb's a plus ten. Ah, natural one, though. Doesn't make it. No, no, no. It is round four. I'm going to try the two. Okay, so you're going to do the climb and the bluff and the crowded bridge. Oh, is that how that works? I thought it was uh, I do this one and then I do the next event. And then if I you have to do both actions on your event and then you can move to the next one for free, essentially. So for this one, because there's four actions, but they're divided up mm-hmm. between the crowded bridge and the broken bridge. If you wanted to do that full round action, it would be climb and bluff or acrobatics and swim. And 
Which logically, what, what, I don't what think is, makes what is, sense, what is the benefit of that, though? That means that if you succeed both of those, you move on to four and you can immediately attempt four. Yeah, four. Oh, okay. Well, then I'm actually going to do the other one. Acrobatics, Acrobatics and, swim? and swim. Okay. Yeah. Now, if you fail either of these, you're stuck. I know. I know. All right. I'm middling acrobatics and pretty good at swim. So I'm going to give it a shot. Acrobatics is a dirty 20. Got it. Swim. Oh, natural 18. Uh, I definitely got the swim. That's a 27. All right. So the way that I flavor this is you jump and you don't quite make it, but then you power swim the rest of it. And yes, as a full round action, you cleared this and can immediately try the next event, even though we haven't quite gotten to the next phase yet. Sweet. So you're back on track. You're at the Founders Square. And here, brawlers are trying to eliminate the competition. Little do they know they're up against Seymour Wiener. You can sense their ambush coming and do a sense motive or knock them into the bay with a bull rush. I'm going to fucking bull rush, <laughs> baby. What a bull rush. Yeah, I saw this one and knew immediately what's going to happen. No attacks of opportunity here. I got to prove bull rush, baby. <laughs> we'll do overbearing advance to do five more points of damage. All right. Yeah. And I'm going to do an inspiring rush to add a plus one to this. Okay. Oh, natural 16. That is a 30. I mean, in two, you would have crit. <laughs> so you would have knocked them probably back into the last island over the bay. But yes, you crush through these people and you have finished the fourth event at the fourth period of time here. Nice. So we're going to move on to the second to last card. All right, you're running along a cliff now. Competitors try to push each other into the harbor. You can either shout, no, you first, and then try and trip them. Or you could shout, look behind you with a bluff check. Wait, I can attempt a trip? Yes. I'm gonna attempt a trip. All right, you gotta say, no, you first, though. No, you first. <laughs> All right, that's a 19. 19, you did it. So you pushed a bunch of people into the harbor and we continue on to round six, event six. If you do this, you could potentially finish in the right amount of time that the module says okay. without the little extra training wheels of a couple extra rounds. But this is the final sprint to the inn. The entrance to the gods revel in is a short ramp packed with drunken patrons. You could either dodge the drunks with an acrobatics or scale the ramp with a climb. I'm going to scale the ramp, baby. All right. Scale the ramp. Let's see what happens. Uh, A 21. Did I make it? The ramp has been scaled. Yeah. Seymour Wiener in six rounds. Perfect for the module. Completion. Oh, this was made for Seymour. It really was. That's why I was excited to bring him back for this, because I knew you had a lot of the tools necessary to really do well on some of these events. And I was worried for a moment when we had problems on the bridge, but the full round was the way to do it. Yeah. Put you right back on track. I didn't quite understand how that worked. It makes sense how that Mm -hmm. works. But but yeah, I was like, okay, I got a plus six and a plus nine. Yeah. I got to I got to make some progress here. Yeah. Some good rolls on your end. But you made it. So what happens if you win? Well, let me tell you. 
So you get into the God's Revel Inn, and there's a burly human fighter there called Heavy Huldron. <laughs> Great name. And he has two half-orc companions. They actually had previous knowledge of the offer and beat you there. They didn't participate in the race. They had heard about it beforehand. Mm-hmm. So they claim to be the final test, even though they're not, and say, basically, you got to fight us in this ring right here, you know, to get in to the, the pirate crew. Mm-hmm. They really just want to knock you out so they can claim that they were the first ones there. And they don't want any witnesses. So a fight ensues. Mm -hmm. And uh, I looked at the stat block and Seymour would probably beat the shit out of these P3 people. So (laughs) I wouldn't worry too much about it. If you had lost, basically, you still show up there. And that guy and his two friends are also still there. But people had beaten you there themselves. So you would have had to fight those three people plus 1d4 plus 2 extra racers and then it's a big melee because it's your party versus them mm-hmm. versus heavy huldron and the boys heavy huldron and the boys so not so heavy anymore not huldron. so heavy anymore um i don't know we'll see if we pick up the story seymour wiener one day but i'm glad that you recovered from last session you sobered up you got your shit together and you made it and now you're gonna be i guess part of Gemma red claws crew I think it's time for a couple listener questions. What do you think, Griff? Yeah, I think so. Let's get answering some stuff. Let's do it. Haley, do we got any from the chat? We do. So we have one from Bippy. Again, he has, um, if you had to switch out book four with any other horror theme that you feel might have fit better, what would you choose? Ooh, I would have really loved a, um, I guess a more Jack the Ripper vibe more urban book like a some sort of serial killer something yeah like a serial there. killer uh correct with, me if i'm wrong we haven't really seen that in this ap all that much no yeah no that's really good i like that a lot it may be just because i've got recency bias here looking at all this wendigo stuff but to have some more wilderness horror is always a good time i recently rewatched the vich recently I know it's kind of Cthulhu-ish, but I slightly put it adjacent to um, wilderness horror. You had the lighthouse, which is like, you know, that isolation, what's going on at the edge of the world. I kind of love that. I don't know. I think that would be fun, but urban horror would be a lot of fun, too. A little, uh, little Jack the Ripper-esque would be cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we got ghosts. We got Frankenstein's monster. We got werewolf zombie double feature. Mm-hmm. We're going to have vampires. We're going to have basically all undead as the capstone so it just something that's not undead works well slotted as the fourth book it works well with the cthulhu stuff but yeah i think like a some kind of serial killer romp would have been really interesting social horror would be good there yeah get a little like purge stuff Mm -hmm. something like that i like it All right, what else we got? We've got a question from Eric. On the topic of corruption slash curses, how do you feel about adding those in now that you've had them for a while? And also thoughts on sanity rules. Adding them in. It's like a home game or other campaigns, maybe. I mean, I have a corruption in our home game, so. Or had one. Yeah. I, uh, I actually don't know kind of I'm kind of hit or miss on that if, if it's something that the table really wants to do and play into I'm not against it but 
frankly, like, like you said earlier, Grip, there's not many corruptions out there. So now that we've seen a good handful of them, I don't know that I really need to see them again, unless I'm playing something that's very horror centric. Yeah. Like if we were to start playing, I don't know, uh, Agents of Edgewatch or um, Iron Fang Invasion or something tomorrow, I, I don't know that I'd really want to inject that extra layer of horror in there. But, you know, if we were playing like an odd pod, like Strange Aeons or Tyrant Scraps, I think it would be pretty appropriate. Yeah, I don't really know that. I feel like a lot of the corruptions have to do with like dealing with a specific thing, like fighting a specific enemy mm-hmm. and then getting that corruption, which works really well in Carrying Crown. Right. Not much else. Like, yeah, I guess the point is, and we're I think we're circling around the same thing. Like, I wouldn't want to shoehorn it anywhere. Right. Like, it's like I fought one vampire and now I have the vampire corruption. That yeah. seems kind of bullshit. Yeah. So, sanity rules, I uh, guess. Yeah, sanity rules are are what they are. Play Call of Cthulhu. Don't fucking deal with it. In a, they're written into the book, so I felt like I should include maybe not the book version, but the official version. But they're dumb. Uh, yeah, I don't think I disagree. I don't. I don't need them. They're fine for what we were accomplishing and dealing with in this book. But I think it's just an extra they're just layer. Not very good. Like that, the menaces aren't very good. Yeah. It's like they're too punishing, and I'd rather just kill your character. <laughs> All right. What else we got? We have got a question from Trey. Um, he has asked, what was your all-time favorite and least favorite on-air drink so far this year? Ooh, so far this year? Yeah. Uh, fuck. Uh, uh, yeah, Demuth actually just answered for me, okay. which was the corn drink. Corn drink. Ooh, yeah, sure. corn drink. <laughs> or the ta- well, it was the tapeworm this year. Uh, I don't know that the tapeworm was this year. Okay. Well, that one beats all, all of the others. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, I don't know that I've had. I guess a corn drink might top Grandma's ashtray for me in terms of like, this is terrible. Ooh, yeah, that's tough. That's real tough. Um, I had a drink. Did did the episode come out this week? Or is it coming out next week where I'm drinking Goldschlager? I think that's next week. That's next week. Yeah. Uh, I mean, come on. Spoiler alert. It's fucking awful. That was yeah. rough. That's up there. But does that beat out the corn? Probably not. Yeah, I think corn might have been the worst one in recent memory. Yeah. I enjoyed the... If we're talking about things that were voted on for mm-hmm. us, I enjoyed the both of the group drinks that we got um, the, the one from Jeremy and the one from uh, Nathaniel yeah those were like great the, the Midori like make your own drink was fun uh, and my drink was good because I got to make my own yeah. <laughs> and um, Jeremy's tequila uh, drink was amazing yeah big up on both of those for me too I can't remember if this was probably late 2020 or very early 2021 but I got a stout and cider combo that I was really dreading but I had this berry cider that basically when I mixed the two of them together it tasted exactly like uh, one of those blue or purple Tootsie Roll Pops. I don't know if it was like the best thing that I've had in recent memory but it was like the drink that I was feeling really bad about and then I had it and was like you know what the the reality blew away my expectations. I I had one that tasted like a blue freeze pop that I really liked. Ooh, I don't I remember. I can't that. remember the name of these things, but 
That's because Emily makes them all. Yeah. Emily could probably go back in the history logs and figure out which ones we're talking about. Yeah. If I saw the list, I'm sure there would be something on there that would jump out to me. It's like, oh, I actually really like that. Or, oh, yeah. that was terrible. Yeah. All right. Next question. This question's from Sir Newt. Which one of the crew is most likely to get attacked by a vampire? And then I have a follow-up later. God, I hope it's me. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, prob- <laughs> probably Steve, because he's, like, seeking that out. Yeah. He's like a gender-bent Bella over here. Hey. <laughs> I mean, I'll change my last name to Swan in a heartbeat. Put me in forks, baby. As a follow-up, what about werewolves? Ooh. Yeah, probably also me. I don't know. Because <laughs> werewolf implies, like, I think Chris. I think Chris is most likely to get changed into a werewolf on the sole designation that whenever we do something outdoorsy, he is always going off by himself and like That's either true. getting the firewood or like, oh, I'm going to go put the fire together in the dark while you guys are all over, you know, do it. like he always goes off by himself in yeah. the woods. I, well, I guess if that's the case, I would say he's probably more likely to be like taken by mountain men or like killed by somebody stalking us. But if that's not an option, yeah, then werewolves, sure. Well, if it's a full moon and he does that. Mm, good point. Werewolf Mountain Man. Oh, Chris there. actually did reply immediately. He does think this is accurate. Yeah. Okay, well, there you go. Got Chris <laughs> in the chat. He knows. <laughs> he knows. Um, we're running pretty low on questions here, but I do have a fun one that Eric has asked. It's a question specifically for Steve. Oh, dear. He also adds on, or whoever else feels like streaming online games. He wants to know if you'll be playing Boyfriend Dungeon. So yeah, that so, yeah. <laughs> that actually I just saw that that was added to Xbox Live Game Pass like just within the last week or so. I don't know anything about it except for the fact that I think it's like a dungeon crawl-ish game where you can romance your weapons. Hold up, I would like to just read the little blurb that came up. Oh, perfect. Yeah, let's do that. Romance your swords. Mm-hmm. Capture the hearts of weapons to level them up in this shack and slash dungeon crawling adventure. I want to play it. Shack and slash. Okay. What if it was with a Q? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that'd be great. Shack and slash. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, that would. Be, I think that's also a top contender to stream. I know occasionally, uh, few and far in between, but the crew will uh, every now and again stream some uh, some dating simulators. And those are always a lot of fun. So this sounds perfect. A little dungeon crawl, a little romance. That sounds great for us. Perfect. <laughs> perfect. It does sound like something up our alley. We have multiple people typing, but I don't have an active question right now. You want to pop into one from the... Yeah, sure. This is a fun one. This comes from uh, Bippy, although his name was different when he wrote it. This is by Harrow Guard Tart. What is an IP you would like to cross with a TTRPG? I'm thinking of making a monster of the week that is Pokemon breaking into the real world. I think that's a pretty cool idea. My concept for this is Bioshock. Yeah, that would be fun. I want, because Bioshock kind of already has a built-in system for leveling up powers and has very well-established lore in game and has a very cool setting. It already has several different types of very interesting bad guys and crazy things that happen when people augment their bodies and lose their minds. You have the setting, you have the adversaries, you've got really good story. All you need to do is drop characters in there and you would have an 
excellent TTRPG. How about you, Griff? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, the easy answer for me is Digimon, but mm-hmm. kind of wanted to go outside of the outside the box instead of Digimon here because, yeah, Monster of the Week with Pokemon or Digimon or whatever is going to work really well. Um, I kind of wanted to make a tabletop game based off of um, uh, what's the I can't think of the name of the game now, but it's a video game where you're trying to survive against like all of the movie serial killers. Um, oh, um, I don't know if it's it's uh, Dead by Daylight. Yeah, Dead by Daylight. Yeah. yeah, a Dead by Daylight tabletop game would be really fun because I feel like that gives you a lot of opportunity to like rotate game masters. Yeah, like um, you know, you have you have like kind of a, a season that's like you know this is the this is the Freddy season like whoever's jamming it like get really into Freddy like watch all the movies and whatever and then like run it um, and then you know the next person can do Jason or whatever whatever you want to do but I think like a that would in my mind be a lot more adversarial at the table than like traditional TTRPGs because it's very much like you know, my, my, my only goal is to kill you guys as the game master yeah and your only goal is to get away I think that's a little, that's difficult in premise too because there's just one adversary, so you'd have to get really creative on how to have recurring encounters or conflicts or events or something. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that it's not possible and wouldn't be awesome, just something that would really take some some clever game mastering to make. Yeah, work. yeah, it, it would be it would certainly be a. I'd like to hearken it back to like more of a one shot system like. Mm. Uh, like 10 candles or something where there you like, go that'd be perfect you kind of know here's the a and b of this story whether it's going to be like three or four sessions it's a great one shot system but not necessarily like a ongoing campaign system sure all right Haley, do those people get finished typing bibby really has a follow-up here just for that dating sim uh sword game mm-hmm. which is if you did have to date a weapon what would it be uh Polearm. Maybe maybe the best question that we've ever got. Uh, cat and nine tails for personal reasons. Okay. Alright. Uh, so, multiple people have continued to type them. <laughs> lighting up now. Uh, I am not seeing many questions, just a lot of discussion. Mm. So, You want to hit Jason's question? Yeah, this is, this is an interesting one. So Jason asked us a question. Lots of three-dimensional combat in Pathfinder slash Starfinder. I don't hear about it much on air, but do you all do much with the Pythagorean theorem off air or just not bother? How do you recommend GMs speed that up at their tables slash what shorthand tricks do you use? There is a very, very good tool. Sorry, I'm always, I usually am the one who plugs this in really quick mm-hmm. uh, and have been lately with... a. There's been a lot of aerial combats lately. Um... There is a fantastic just hypotenuse calculator. If you type that in, Google just has it. So it's super easy to do your little legs and just type it in. So that's what I've been doing lately, especially with me having to calculate a bunch of Eclipse stuff. Yeah. The Google hypotenuse calculator is so easy. Yeah, I would say for the most part, what helps me is if you just assume outside of extenuating circumstances that um, the tra- the players are traveling in a 45-45-90 mm-hmm. 
and then um, assume that whatever land speed they're trying to traverse is uh, one and a half times that is how far they can go. Yeah. So, like, if you wanted to go 20 feet over and 20 feet up, if you have a fly speed of 30 feet, you can make that. Those are both really, really good answers. I don't know that I really have a ton to add to either of them. Just um, a little fun anecdote here. When our little group was finishing Rise of the Rune Lords, Tim was GMing, Brooks, Emily, and myself through it. In the final combat, we had so much 3D-ness flying and different platform heights and all sorts of craziness that Brooks basically just literally the entire time was doing Pythagorean Theorem. Like that was his job. He was just calculating how high everything had to had to be. <laughs> That's all he did for everybody's turn. Although he also played his character, but you know what I'm saying. He just like, took that piece of it to keep us on the rails. I've got a I've got a couple questions that have come in. Sure. Uh, so from Spartan, he has typed: Is Matumbe's new book out of the AP, or was it written in? And then he has a follow-up after. Sure. Yeah, Matube's new book is um, a kind of semi-custom item that I made based off of the AP item called Raven's Head, which is an, a mace that's an artifact. And I've kind of taken that and tailored it to be used by a living grimoire and given it some cool stuff that works better with a living grimoire because, you know, from the start of the story, I wanted this item to go to Matumbe because he is the only Phrasman in the party. And it made sense that, you know, the Phrasma artifact, I, I didn't want it to go unused. So I tailored it to his character. Yeah. Um, I will also say just as a fun little coda on that, if you actually do read through the living grimoire archetype, I think it's in the holy book thing that he has, like the, the ability called holy book, where you have a book that um, behaves in very certain ways. It specifically does say in there that the holy book is basically the, the item that you get automatically in hero lab or wherever you're building your character is actually just a reskinned cold iron light mace. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that the fact that this item in the actual text of the adventure was a light mace. I think it's a heavy mace. A heavy mace. Adventure, but yeah, still. And I effectively already using a mace this entire AP. Like that is a little fun bit of synergy that I don't think either of us planned and it just kind of worked out. All right. Yeah, so the only follow-up there would be if Matumbe had died before this, would it still be there? Yeah, I figured it wouldn't have been used either way if Matumbe had died. So, unless like one of the backup characters was another Phrasman, and then I probably would have reskinned it to that character, but um, that's not the case, obviously, with anyone's backup so far. So, it just would have probably stayed either the Book of the Raven or Raven's Head. And you guys probably would have like. It sucks because like you can't really sell it because right. it's an artifact. So it's just like great. <laughs> we have this this thing that's like half the wealth in this book that um, we can't use. Could use it for maybe like a fun story beat if we meet for Asmans in the future. Look at what we have. Like, mm -hmm. oh, cool. But well, I don't think would have the impact that it has today. Well, we have um, a few fun ones here. Uh, one from Sir Newt. Out of all the characters, who would do best 
if they were transported to the Starfinder universe and what counts as doing the best? Hmm. Ooh. I think that's always interesting since that's a very different world than what our characters are in. Yeah, I guess it's difficult because like there's not a lot of transferable skills. I have to basically purely think from like a flavor aspect, right? Like who would feel least out of place because yeah, I don't think there's almost any one-to-one parallels between mechanics or classes between um, Air Bear would become a core race. I guess maybe that's it. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, yeah, Air Bear would be at home. Who would handle that well? Tulia's lived on another plane for so long that maybe like she could handle the fact like, oh, I'm in the future now. Sure. Yeah, Tulia or Freya would both be like the only ninth level casters in that universe, so that would make them pretty brokenly powerful. Comparatively. Yeah. Those are probably my answers. Yeah. I think that that does it. Do you want another one? Sure. Uh, I'll follow up with Newt's other kind of fun question here, which is, if you were a deity in the Pathfinder universe, what would be your edicts in Ananthropos? Ooh, great question. Yeah, yeah I, I think you should read this as if your current... I already am a deity in Pathfinder 2nd well, edition. Alumdar. <laughs> yeah, that's actually what I was thinking as well. Go as large Great. as possible. <laughs> Massive gains. So is it is the question that basically I need to create myself as a deity in Pathfinder? Yeah, like give yourself oh, dear. your edicts and your... Um, you get two to, two, two to three of each. All right. You, uh, one. you know what? I'm going to be the uh, the patron of bad boys everywhere. Oh. <laughs> boys that get to boys that <laughs> the be a little wild. Bad. Yeah. I would say anathema... If you're just like a little schemer and you don't commit a little schemer. and you don't commit to being a bad boy, then yeah, that's that's no good. <laughs> that was being a little schemer. Like you got to commit to being a bad boy. So yeah, I'd, I'd say so. Um, you got any tenets? Or just yeah. Um, don't be a schemer. Ostracize all of your friends by getting too hard into a fandom that none of them like. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that sounds a core like tenet yeah, sure. that's that's good. <laughs> Fiction mirrors reality there. How about you, Griff? Oh, man. Yeah, that's tough. Uh, yeah, I think if we had some time to think about this question a little bit more, we could get some really good stuff. Yeah, I, I like... Because we're, we're turning the mirror inwards now. Yeah. I'm not really sure what anathema would be. There's not really, like... I, there's not, like, a little schemer thing I can point to. <laughs> yeah. People are requesting a potential follow-up. Um. Okay. <laughs> That is uh, all. And so then Eric has asked, do you think any other classes should get a code similar to paladins get from their deity? I think you kind of see it a little bit in Druid, right? There's some very specific stuff they have to follow. And like in 2E, barbarians at least have like anathema. So they have like a code that Mm -hmm. they follow. Like the animal barbarian can't wield manufactured weapons. Yeah. Or they lose the ability to rage, which is okay. <laughs> um, who else should get a code? I think it would be kind of interesting to see like an investigator have some sort of code where 
if you don't pull all your plot threads and you don't follow up on stuff, like you start losing confidence in yourself and your own mental facilities. Like it's not necessarily a code with a deity, but it's like a your own personal self-control and confidence in your in your abilities, I think would be kind of interesting. Yeah, I think like honor among thieves, like there could be oh it, sure it could be cool to have something like that for a type of rogue yeah maybe not for all rogues but like um having a code for a rogue I, I could see it following that archetype really well i think for for wizards it would be really cool to have something in the rules where you could become stronger in a certain in certain types of magics but like if you're instead of having like an opposed school if you had a code like do no harm with necromancy or like a code that was like, you know, do not enchant people against their will or something yeah. that like these things that come up with magic that are kind of pretty borderline evil acts. Mm-hmm. If you had a code against that and that allowed you access to some like divine spells or something, that would be really cool. Like it, it like if you get heal, but like you have to take those tenants with your arcane magic and it like grants you a divine font or something that would be really fun. Yeah, I really like that answer. That's very good. I like that a lot. Um we're getting a little tight on time here. Do you got maybe one more fun one before we hop into the uh, after party there, Haley? Oh yeah, I have a really good fun one from Demuth. Okay. <laughs> now that Ikmer's gone and Steve's intellectual facilities have regressed to twilight levels, who is the right, best detective it. in the party? Watch it. Ooh. <laughs> Well, Steve's intellect doesn't really doesn't impact Batumbe's intellect too much. Mm-hmm. That's true. And my dice rolling hasn't been trash for a while now. So, like, I'm not holding my character back anymore, I don't feel like. Yeah, so probably still Matumbe. Yeah, I mean, 100% mechanically Matumbe. Who else has got detective skills? Detective skills, uh, yeah. eclipse, obviously. Oh yeah, I guess she's that's the true. object reader. <laughs> yeah, she, she doesn't need detective skills. She can just touch shit. I just know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you are wearing the top hat, but we might need to reflavor that as like the Sherlock Holmes hat. You already have a Sherlock Holmes hat. Well, I got the Sherlock. Holmes I know. Hat. You're not gonna hand that down. Hell no. <laughs> unless uh, unless she takes some dip in investigator dip in or something. Jesus, that's just what we need. Yep. Everybody that took an intelligence-based class has done a two-level dip in Investigator. It's very strange. It's a great two-level dip. What can I say? All right, everybody. Well, I think it is time to head over to the Drunk and Discordly channel for our after party. However, before we get going, I just have a couple things to plug before we leave. Like I mentioned up at the beginning, we are going to be having our first live show. Remember, that is September 19th, 2021 at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's going to be hosted on Paizo's official Twitch channel. It's going to be big. It's going to be awesome. We're so excited. Special guests and all. It's going to be a great time. And I really hope to see as many of you there as possible because we're going to have a really fun time with it. Besides that, Griff, we're doing a little recording tomorrow, aren't we? Mm -hmm. A little extracurricular stuff. We're going to be closing a chapter on the story of the hideous tomfoolery underground show that we do with our friends at STF. So um, stay tuned. No release date planned for that, but you'll know as soon as we know. Honestly, when this comes out, it'll probably be out. (laughs) Uh, Actually, yeah, you're probably right. Adam turns them around really fast and this is coming out in a few weeks. So um, it may be out already. Uh, Take a look for it. 
And then just finally, if you have not checked out our Patreon yet, we are in the midst of a new season of the Link Legacy podcast. Haley's taken us through Realm of the Felmite Queen. We have one episode released as of this recording. However, we have recorded the first four. That's going to take us through the next several weeks. Guys, the episodes are so much fun. For those of you who have heard already, you know the party is absolutely wild. We're diving headfirst into the bees and the wedding, and we're getting real thematic with it. It's yeah, been so was, good. There is uh, crying laughter in one of the most recent ones. So yeah. that's any indication. We at least make ourselves laugh. Absolutely. So yeah, I think you all will enjoy them. If you haven't listened yet or you, you got a couple extra bucks to throw at the Patreon, this is well worth it, I promise. But on that note, I think we made it out. So congratulations, Griffin, to our producer, Haley, and to all of you listening along live. You succeeded your will saves. You made it out of the zone of truth. Finish your drinks. We'll see you in two weeks or in two minutes. Later. Later.